Schwen was most recently the VP and head of global digital strategy at Bristol Myers Squibb, where he focused on driving digital innovation across, across the whole enterprise, including R&D, clinical, commercial, manufacturing, supply chain, and enabling functions. He also led the initial enterprise strategy for digital medicines and digital therapeutics. Prior to BMS, he was the co-founder and global head of Open Innovation for the Novartis Biome. Schwen has been part of the digital health ecosystem for over 10 years. He advises and invests in startups, and he has uh, he's an advisor to a pharma-focused digital health accelerator called Farmstars and part of the MIT Hacking Medicine team. So first off, here's the format of this investor talk. We'll talk about the news for about 30 minutes, and then I'll talk, and then we'll talk about today's topic for another 30 minutes, and then we'll be taking questions and call-ins from the audience. In order for you to do more than just watch, you need to register for an account on callin.com. Uh, you, you can do so on their website or through the call-in social podcasting app in the App Store. The call-in platform works similarly to Clubhouse Rooms and Twitter Spaces for a modern social audio experience. You can also email me at stephen at wardelladvisorsllc.com. Once you've registered, you can use the text chat and also raise your hand to, to call in to our discussion. So welcome, Schwen. Thanks, Steve. It's great to see you here. And uh, thank you for inviting me to your show. Thanks. And so can you introduce yourself beyond what I just mentioned? Sure. So um, I think the brief history uh, for myself is that I've been in the biopharma industry for the last 20 years. Um, and before that, I was actually training to be a behavioral neuroscientist. So starting on the academic bench side, research side, and then moving on to my pharma career with a short stop in uh, continuing, continuing medical education in between. Um, I spent the majority of my career, um, about 13 years of it initially, on the commercial side of business, mainly digital marketing. Uh, focused on strategy and innovation. And uh, I did that within brand teams, within centers of excellence, as well as corporate, and both on the pharma client side, as well as in the creative ad agency world. Uh, and then I switched uh, and took what I knew from the commercial side of the business and went to the clinical side and uh, led digital for clinical trial recruitment and retention for about three years before uh, moving on then for the last five years, really focusing on enterprise-wide digital innovation as mentioned first with uh, Novartis, where I uh, helped to co-found and launch a global network of digital innovation hubs called the Novartis Biome and helped to launch uh, hubs in, you know, everywhere from the U.S. where the headquarters was in San Francisco to uh, Paris, Barcelona, London, Montreal, and so on. Uh, and then more recently with BMS, where I headed up all of digital, but with a focus on driving digital innovation across the enterprise. So that's me in a nutshell. Um, and then uh, I left BMS about nine months ago in mid-2022. mid, mid um, And since then, I've sort of uh, done a whole bunch of things. Uh, I took some time off and enjoyed some trips um, with the family. I also uh, started an executive education program uh, for a chief digital officer course, which is 12 months long. I've started taking on a number of advisory roles with a few startups, as well as with the pharma-focused digital accelerator called Farmstars. Um, so I'm probably the uh, busiest unemployed guy you've ever met. Great, thank you. So now we're going to go through the news, and I hope you'll you'll chime in in areas where where you feel you have something to to add to our categories. But the first category is macro outlook. So. Uh, the macro outlook continues to be about the same. And for my audience, which is largely, you know, young digital health company leaders and also the investors who invest in them, uh, this is mostly bad news for the economy to be, to be continuing the way that it is. So we continue to have a weak private investment environment for digital health. The NASDAQ, which is a good indicator to look at, has been going largely sideways, up a little bit, but largely sideways for the last three months, with a lot of uncertainty about how much the Fed's going to raise rates. And if the Fed raises rates, then that almost certainly will lead to a pull-in of the NASDAQ, which, is, which would be further bad news. Um, and, but, the, but the Fed is raising rates to fight inflation. That inflation is also bad news for the innovation economy, for young companies, for young companies that are often earnings negative for years before they turn earnings positive. Um, so uh, we're looking at inflation announcements. We're looking at 
Fed raising rates. Um, uh, and this uncertainty makes it hard to value and price private companies and makes it hard for lead investors to lead and, uh, and price new rounds of companies. Um, so uh, the next Fed Open Markets Committee meeting is probably going to be May 2nd to 3rd. Uh, and what we saw at the last meeting was they raised rates by about 25 basis points. And then and that was expected. That was in line with expectations. And then they said, uh, but there was there was very much a growing voice and lobby in the U.S. economy saying stop raising rates. Uh, and it's causing banking crises. It's causing big problems for the innovation economy. Um, and the Fed said that it, it, it the words it used was is it said that it was nearing the end of the need to raise rates. And so let's hope that they still see it that way. But they could raise so so you know an expected and positive outcome of that meeting coming up would be they raise rates another 25 basis points. And then it would be really interesting if they say, and we're stopping raising rates, that actually would be the most significant thing that could come out of that meeting. If they said they're stopping, we could then possibly expect, uh, first of all, the NASDAQ would lift uh, and second, which is a good sign. And second of all, that it would bring an end to this uncertainty where uh, every FOMC meeting, there's a chance the Fed's going to raise rates. Um, and that, and the end of that uncertainty is what is a cue investors are looking for, for being able to price deals and get back into making investments. So the IPO window remains closed. That's also, uh, you know, bad news. Um, but there's uh, possible, you know, um, uh, clouds lifting on the horizon. We've seen a number of prominent companies, tech companies, and now uh, healthcare companies say that they are going to IPO, which is, that's good news. So we've seen uh, this past week, J&J &J announced it's preparing for a spin out and IPO of its consumer line of business called Kenview, which makes Band-Aids and Tylenol and other, and other things um, for later this year. Later this year, that's probably code for September. <clears throat> um, and uh, also Instacart and ARM, the chip maker, said that they would IPO probably later this year. That probably means September. And so what we're, what we're looking for is for them, is for the date to arrive and for them to IPO, and then for the stock to go up, uh, and then for it to stay up. <laughs> That's what we're looking for. And when that, if and when that happens, then the IPO windows open, um, and a flood of other companies in tech and also in digital health are going to seek to go public. And if they see this queue happen in September, they're going to seek to go public for maybe March or later. And when that IPO window opens up, that means certain things can happen like Series C fundings and D fundings and crossover funding can start to happen again, because those are usually timed in, a, in relation to a feasible IPO. So they're two years before a feasible IPO or something like that. And if, and if the IPO window is closed, then those deals are not happening. So, um, so what uh, we're looking at, so, so an optimistic scenario would be Fed says that it stops raising rates in Q2, that's this quarter, and then companies go out for IPO in September, uh, tech companies, and then digital health companies copy that and start to IPO again in March or so. So um, the uh, next is we could be entering a recession. Recession is a mixed bag for innovative companies. It's mostly bad because it makes our customers feel poor um, and changes their priorities. And we want them to feel rich and spendy and buy lots of software. Uh, and so you have uh, Lawrence Summers. He's a pundit I watch on this. Uh, and he says there's a 70% chance we go into recession this year. Um, and uh, Jason Calacanis, uh, the commentator, uh, is claiming that we're going into a recession right now and, and have entered a recession that's a Fed-caused recession due to those rate rises. And so I, I also looked at Fidelity, and Fidelity says that we're uh, still in a late-stage expansion, uh, which means we're at the end of the expansionary period, and thinks that we could go into a recession in a few quarters. So that's consistent with what Larry Summers is saying. Um, so this is mostly bad for our sector because it makes our, our customers feel poor. Um, but uh, in general, under uh, it can be good uh, because the reason the Fed's raising rates is because of excessive demand. And if we go into a recession, that means people who spend money feel poorer and don't spend as much. And that pulls in inflation. It means the Fed's going to be more dovish, less hawkish. Uh, it also means that um, 
uh, you know, that often some companies can actually find young company, innovative companies can actually be more innovative during a recession for a number of reasons. They can get talent more easily. They might be able to raise money more easily. Things cost less during a recession. Um, they might be able to, um, uh, to some uh, uh, investment funds will be, will be the, the same level of aggressiveness of investment or higher during a recession. So, so anyway, in, in in summary, we're, look, we're hoping that in May, the Fed, the Fed says it's stopping raising rates. Then we could see venture investors get off the bleachers, get back in the pool with, pool with the CEOs and put that dry powder to work. And we're also hoping that the IPO window opens up in September as well. So, Shwen, you know, this, is, this, this matters. You know, uh, I'm, I'm going over this because it, it matters a lot more to digital health CEOs than it did a year ago or two years ago. Because of what the Fed's doing, do you, do you have any thoughts on this? Are you seeing anything that, or any do you want to make any comment on this? Yeah, I think first of all, I want to make a comment because uh, you mentioned Jason Calacan, is who uh, you know I listen to his uh, This Week in Startup show uh, a lot on on podcast, um, and um, he I think believes we're already in the recession, and I believe he thinks this is the fifth quarter, and it takes I th- think something like eight quarters or twelve quarters for it to turn. Um, so I, I think that's an interesting perspective in itself and, and, you know, whether we're in it or, uh, on the way to it or on the way out, I'm not sure, but it, it, it certainly has been a tough, you know, 12, 18 months, uh, for startups overall. Um, certainly I think, um, you know, we went from one global crisis that probably drove a lot of change and made some companies and yet destroyed others, uh, to a time where the market just turned completely right it went from a time where it was like easy to raise everybody was um adding fire to the uh, sorry fuel to the fire and and um you know everybody was grabbing deals whether it was worth it or not um and and the whole spec craze happened as well in the last couple of years and then suddenly everything just blew up uh and i think uh, you know that was a real sign of the times and then whether it was driven by this whole recession situation or not you also had a a bunch of companies that are now um you know reorganizing uh, or letting uh, people go and uh, lay, having layoffs uh, both in the pharma side as well as on the digital health and technology side so the market's now flooded with people so i think that just makes for a very uh volatile market overall uh whether you're raising or investing uh whichever side you're on it's just a real volatile market and i know that um you know everything you're saying is is um just um uh, real uh pertinent to the situation that we're in right now uh and really i'm not sure how, where this is going to go but hopefully it's on the road to recovery and not further down Great, thanks. Yeah, so then we'll, we'll touch on valuation levels next. Um, uh, and so, you know, the most recent SaaS capital index numbers show SaaS companies being valued at about 7.1 times forward revenue. Um, so that's pretty good. That compares, this is um, median value for all public SaaS companies. Um, and that compares to a long-term number of eight times. So it's not that uh, far below eight. Um, and it's been holding steady for a few months in a row. Uh, at at around 7.1. Um, high growth SaaS is trading at around 8 to 12 times uh, forward multiples. And this compares to highs in 2021, not that long ago, when high growth SaaS was trading at like 16 times, um, or I'm, I'm sorry, when median was at 16 times and high growth was at 30 plus times. And so you can see just how you know, the median SaaS company has gone from 16 times down to seven times uh, and high growth has gone from 30 plus times down to eight to 12 times. So the valuation uh, pull-in has been very substantial, um, but it's, but today it's more in line with historical norms. But that does mean that there's this overhang going on of companies out there that where their last private round might have been as a company growing top line at over 50%. And a, and a forward multiple at 30 times. Uh, and now they're looking at any kind of fundraise or acquisition or revaluation. It's going to take them down quite a bit. Um, so the valuation environment is still risk off, which means that investors like safe, profitable companies and don't like um, high potential earnings negative companies. Uh, and uh, and so and then um, I think on, on that podcast, so 
one thing I see you're doing and that I also do is I look, I look at trends in tech and I see how they're applying to digital health. And they're often applied more slowly and later to digital health because uh, and then healthcare is always very specialized and regulated. And so you have to interpret it through the, through a special lens. But on the All In podcast, David Friedberg, the commentator there, he said that 70 percent of companies that went public over the last three years are now trading at below the cash they raised. Um, and if you so that that's public companies in tech, but if you carry that over to digital health and to private, so that'd be like Series C and later digital health, you know that implies that um, that seventy percent of these companies have lower valuations than their preference stack, uh, which is the the preference stack is the preferred shares and other shares, uh, the value of those, um, which means that if they were sold today, those investors would get the value of the company, but 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 management would not get the, the talented executives, people with stock options would not get value out of out of the company at its current valuation, current uh, investor preference stack. Uh, and that's a, a formula for um, for talent to leave the company. And, and right now we're seeing a real boom of investor positive investor sentiment at in the world of of early stage. AI startups in healthcare and other areas. And so you, you may see, um, you know, uh, frustrated executives at, at Series C or later companies who see their stock options not being worth very much, don't want to wait and see it work out, see not a lot of Series C, D crossover IPO rounds being done because the IPO window is closed, uh, and yet they could, they could leave and get a new equity uh, top, you know, uh, stake in a in a young startup in a hot area, and the hottest of all areas right now is, is AI. So that, that that's an interesting thing to that, that to to watch that's that's going on right now. And I think David uh, Friedberg he called these companies zombie corns. So instead of being unicorns um, that were worth over a billion private companies about to IPO, they're now zombie corns having had a frustrated uh, senior, frustrated talent, possibly even the CEO leave and go start a new company um, rather than figure out how to work out in this difficult valuation situation where you may have conflicts between the board and the CEO and between one class of investors and another class of investors uh, and uh, disagreements about whether to accept a down round valuation and things like that. So, so now moving on from valuation to news of the week. So here, um, uh, the, uh, uh, you know, I'll throw out some some news stories. One is I was really glad to see. So Cortica, a hybrid provider that develops care programs for people with autism, closed a fundraise of 75 million headed by Deerfield Management, Optum Ventures, and, and also continued participation by Echo, RA Capital Management, 406 Ventures, Longitude, Ajax, Aperture Ventures, Questa Capital. So this is really great. Uh, so this is, I've waited a long time to see this. There are, there are few deals happening with the, 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 the name brand digital health venture funds. And there's few series C or 75 million size round rounds happening. And here it is happening. So that's great. I don't know how these guys slipped through given that, that the number, you know, that deals in the series C and later stage are down 90%. Um, but uh, here's a classic deal with outstanding investors. It's good to see. Let, let's see. I, I don't know if we're going to see more of them, but but I, I, I hope we see more of them. Um, and what I'm seeing here is so. First of all, I'd be curious as to some backstory I don't know as to how a classic deal like this happened. Um, but I'm also seeing that this is a hybrid provider. So this is a company that is not a classic digital health company because it's not selling software into the healthcare system. It is selling care. It's a provider. It is a hybrid provider or a tech enabled services company or an alternate care delivery model. Uh, and uh, so th th another thing that's news about this is that VCs are increasingly saying instead of making software and selling software into big healthcare enterprises, which are terrible buyers of software and terrible implementers of software, we are just how hard is it to be a provider? Why don't we just be the provider and make and, and make better tech and do a better job than the existing providers? We're the turtlenecks and we're gunning for the white coats and we're going to beat them. Um, uh, and so that, this is an example of um, you know, 10 years ago, VCs might have said, I don't want to 
fund providers because I want to fund software companies. They have high margins um, and providers grow slower and have lower margins. Um, but now you're seeing VCs come, you know, appreciate the new thesis here of fund a tech enabled service, a tech led healthcare provider. So Schwein, any you have any thoughts on, on the significance of this? Yeah, I, I, I'm wondering if also, you know, the, the whole acquisition of One Medical by Amazon might have been uh, a big signal to the rest of the industry, too, that, you know, brick and mortar is not dead. Uh, and in fact, if you do it better than everybody else, it's actually worth, uh, you know, worth investing in and worth acquiring. So um, I think it's uh, it's a really interesting um, perspective to really think about how, you know, it's hard for pure software, pure device type companies right now to raise the same amount as something like this. Um, but uh, the, the care delivery space is certainly something that is um, hot in the market right now, especially if you think about where things are going with like remote patient monitoring returning and, 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 you know, just doing care better. Right. And keeping people out of the hospital rather than um, driving them back in. That, so that, that's a really good point. So old investors would have said, I'm not going to invest in it as a venture investor. I'm not going to invest in a healthcare services company. Number one, margins are too low. Number two, it doesn't grow fast enough. Number three, no one to sell it to. Who am I going to sell it to? A bunch of doctors. Um, uh, and now what we're seeing is, well, you could sell it to Amazon. Maybe you could sell it to Oracle. Maybe you could sell it to Apple. Maybe you could sell it to uh, big tech definitely wants to be in healthcare. Um, maybe you could sell it to Optum. Um, and so th there's also acquirers for these kinds of companies as well. So um, the next news story uh, is virtual reality companies, XR Health based in Boston and Amelia Virtual Care based in Barcelona merged. So these are young companies. It's unusual to see two young companies merge. Usually, you know, one company has cash, but no innovation. The other company has innovation, but no cash. Two great tastes that taste great together. You know, they merge. Um, but in this case, you have two young companies, you know, presumably full of innovation and not so much cash merging. Don't have a backstory on this, but, but you don't see a lot of it. But here it is. So I think we're going to see more of this, which is companies in this frustrating environment where maybe they burned through some of their prior venture uh, debt and they now that they're looking for strategic alternatives and that alternative may be to merge with another young company. Um, uh, and so this, this, is this is an unusual thing to see, but in the current environment, I think this is symbolic of it and we may see more of this. Uh, so any, any thoughts on this merger? I, I'm curious. Uh, I, I'm familiar with both by name, but I don't know both in depth. Um, but I will. I'm curious to know, you know, if if there were this was a, there was a lot of investor and board uh, pressure to actually do this, and I wouldn't be surprised if there's some connection with um, somebody who sits on both of their boards or both of their uh, investment sort of uh, investors. Uh, you know, so it'd be interesting to find out if there's something back there that connects both of them. That's great. And for our audience, uh, you know, if if you uh, have any news you want to that you think is significant, you can type it in the chat. Uh, we'll we'll talk about it, see what we think. Um, but you know, also just worth noting that it's a slow news week. You know, that uh, layoff announcements tend to uh, outnumber fundraising <laughs> announcements, uh, and there's just not a lot of news like there was uh, before. And then, um, but th but these were the significant stories I thought uh, for the week. So let's see. So next is we'll talk about. Um, conferences coming up. So, Schwen, uh, you are not only at South by Southwest, but you've 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 always gone there since people didn't even think of it as having a digital health component. Uh, and you also throw one of the more famous healthcare parties at South by Southwest, and and have for years. And so, can you tell us you you got out of there? What what did you think of South by Southwest? Sure. So I'll give you a little bit of perspective um, and history to that. Uh, I, this, this year was my 12th year going back to South by Southwest. And uh, to be honest, uh, when I first started going, it was because I was in the sort of digital community around Boston. I wouldn't say digital health. It was sort of just digital. It was really driven by social media at the time. And they were all going to this really cool event in Austin, Texas in uh, March. And I was like, why are these people that I know going there? But I I, can't, I don't seem to have a reason to go because there's no health in that event. And I was, you know, in pharmaceuticals. So what I did was I actually uh, ended up just running an event 
um, just before South by Southwest uh, started back in 2010. And I called it at that time, there was this thing called Unconference, and it was really cool. Uh, and so what I did was brought, bring together um, the entire ecosystem of healthcare. So I had patients, providers, payers, pharma, and um, all all parts of the the pharma ecosystem, sorry, the, the healthcare ecosystem sort of talking at this conference about how things are, where things are going, how digital is starting to change the way we do things, call it digital health, but that wasn't a common term at the time. Uh, it was really social media driven in terms of uh, engagement and PR. Uh, and a lot of the people that I actually invited to speak were people I met on social media at the time. And so we had this unconference and the second half of the day was just bring a topic. And if you want to talk about it, whoever is interested, will go to a room and you guys can talk about it. But that was so successful that the, the, the South by organization actually ended up picking it up and saying, you know, we still saw the success of this. And because of that, we're actually going to adopt a health and med tech track and start to have health as part of our conference tracks. And that's kind of how it all started. And I ended up being invited to be part of the advisory board there. Uh, and so have been going back ever since um, over the last 12 years. Now, as that health and med tech track grew, you started to see a more and more health presence there because um, people started applying to, to speak and, um, you know, sessions were uh, interwoven into the conference itself. And so uh, what you ended up having was this confluence of um, all these other industry sectors together with now health. Um, at an event, which was, you know, it's called the festival, South by Southwest Festival, um, which was originally a music festival, actually, which started, you know, over 30 years ago as a music festival and then became a film festival as well. And then now an interactive festival, they included Elf. And um, and it's not just pharma that's going. In fact, pharma just makes up the small part of it. Um, you have the VCs that are going because you have hot new companies that are launching their startups. Um, in fact, Twitter was launched there. Foursquare, if you remember them, they were launched there. Uh, and a few others as well. Um, and then you've got um, the government is there actually as they're engaging the populi, you know, uh, to to talk about what's happening in the government world uh, and policies, uh, health policy that is. And then you've also got payers, providers, and all parts of healthcare being represented there. And we're all talking about the future of health, uh, how digital is impacting it, health policy, um, where things are going, and um, it's it and the beauty of South by is the fact that you're not just focused on the same people you see at every other health conference. You also have every other industry represented there. You have this serendipity of walking to the wrong room and realizing actually what you learned there was fantastic and fabulous and could be applied to healthcare. And I wish I had known that first. So, so there's a lot of this um, uh, mix of different cultures, thinking, diversity that actually drives creativity that comes out of that. And so, um, like I said, it's been 12 years since I've been going. About eight years ago, um, we formalized this uh, event that was called the Health Disruptors Dinner. It came out of a bunch of us who used to meet there for the first few years that we had the health and med tech track, um, who were all in healthcare, maybe 30 of us, 40 of us. We would go to a you know Mexican restaurant, split the bill and go home. Uh, but then we decided to formalize it eight years ago and it was sponsored by a VC at the time. Uh, and what we did was have it, it invite some of the people in the, you know, who are really starting to innovate and um, disrupt healthcare uh, to this dinner so that we could all have a place to congregate and talk about how we're doing things and really learn from each other. And um, it started with, you know, uh, 50 to 100 people. And now in, in the last few years, you know, every year attracts somewhere between 150 to 300 people going through it in one night. And uh, it's just become an event that people have uh, come to over the years. That, that, that's great. And so, you know, I would just add to that. Um, so if you're a digital health CEO and you're wondering, should I go to South by Southwest? Um, you know, certain conferences have flavors like HIMSS is all about health systems, hospitals, um, Vive is also like that. Um, South by Southwest has this flavor of there's pharma there, there's med tech there, there's a mix there. So some reasons to go. Number one is that the media is all there. And so you can attract media, get attention for your product launch. If you're launching a product, go to South by Southwest, meet with media in person there, have them write stories about you. Next is you can meet with the Austin VC set uh, when you go there. It's a, it's a good reason to go to Austin. All the VCs in Austin are in meeting mode and they'll meet with you probably at the conference, or you can meet with them at their offices. Um, 
Uh, and then there's a bunch of other VCs, but it's hard to tell who's going and who's not going. It's not like JP Morgan where most are going. Instead, it's, it's, a, it's an eclectic mix of VCs who are going. And then there's also a mix of pharma innovation executives, pharma consolidator executives uh, who are there. Um, and also, um, so, so that, those are some of the reasons. It's also fun. It's sort of, it's, you know, it's one of the candidates to be the burning man of digital health, among other things. So people like going to it. So um, I, I will so add to you that I think also the other thing is I think it's a, it's a very flat um, festival. So in other words, it's um, not just because Austin doesn't have hills, but because um, people kind of leave their titles at the door when they go to South by and the, the big speaker that you only see on the main stage, a lot of times you'll just meet them at an event or um, at, on the floor or at a, another party. And um, they're just open to talk to you. So it, there, there are no egos there. Um, well, there are some, I've met some people with egos there, but uh, you know, most people are very willing to share, learn, talk, um, and and it's uh it's just very much democratized though, rather than uh, something where you only you know speaker participant and then you never the two shall meet. That's great. So um, in our audience, Andrew in our audience has asked us to comment on Rizant Health. So uh, just recently, Kaiser Permanente has announced it's acquiring Geisinger, and it's renaming Geisinger. The, the press release is not it's not entirely clear. It's renaming Geisinger Rizant Health, and it's says that it's going to use this acquisition to offer value-based care in communities around the country. So um, just my, my reaction to this, first of all, the hospital sector is suffering terribly. They are just, they're, they are, you know, face, uh, you know, difficult fixed costs and they're not seeing the revenue they need to see. Uh, and this is, uh, and so they, they don't have, they're feeling very stressed um, and so in those kinds of circumstances, um, you, you can see mergers like this, a relatively better off hospital will acquire a relatively worse off hospital and then say the good times will be back later and then we'll have the bigger footprint that we wanted by, by making this acquisition. So this could be a hospital acquisition driven by, you know, a difficult uh, profitability environment for hospitals. That's my first comment on that. You know, this is fresh news and I haven't, I, and I don't, I don't, I haven't seen, you know, an inside story view on this. My second is, you know, I, I would look elsewhere for the story of value-based care. Um, value-based care is the big healthcare reform of our generation, but the market has shifted its behavior from fee-for-service care to value-based care very slowly. So in over 10 years, I think it's probably shifted less than 10%. So that's less than one point a year. That certainly is more slowly than, uh, than Obama had, had thought that he would shift. Um, uh, and uh, uh, so, um, uh, but, uh, and then what I would look at is I would look at CMS regulations and incentives for um, hard incentives. So, uh, uh, so soft we've mostly seen CMS do soft incentives, um, which is, uh, you know, to profit share or something. But we haven't seen CMS do uh, strong incentives, which is like, um, you know, uh, no you know, f fixed reimbursement and, and no, uh, no extra fees for, for procedures done badly or whatever. So uh, but what do you what do you think about this, um, uh, Shwen? Yeah, um, I, I, I mean, I, I totally agree that. Um, you know, oh, I'm not sure what happened to Steve, but um, I guess I'm here to talk about <laughs> value-based care. Um, I'm not sure what, um, I, I'm not huge on, uh, hugely in deep into this space, but I am certainly um, uh, aware that what you said about being only about 10% progressed in this space is, is certainly true. Um, I think there's a lot of talk and not enough action, and I'm not sure there's enough uh, incentives right now to drive value-based care, even though that's something that a lot of people talk about uh, right now. Um, I'm not sure if Steve's going to be able to come back anytime soon. Sounds like uh, he might have a situation where he is. Uh, but... Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I was hoping that you would save me from having to tell a joke or two. Uh, that, 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 that's great. Um, so good. So we chatted about, um, uh, about Rizant Health, this new development. Um, so and we talked about uh, value-based care too. Yeah. 
That's great. So then moving on to, we're talking about conferences now. So moving on from South by Southwest. So the next big conference I think coming up has got to be BIO. Um, BIO, June 58th in Boston. Tickets are $3,500. Should the, the young company CEO buy a ticket and go to BIO? Well, the way to think about that is, first of all, BIO is 90% about molecules. So if you are a digital health person, first of all, you should be, you should, you, um, uh, you know, you should be focused on the biotech and pharma markets selling into them. Um, uh, and uh, you got to realize that you're one of a 10% of people there representing digital tech. And you got to find the other 10% of people. If you're looking for VCs, you're going to deal, be dealing with 90% of VCs are focused on uh, wet molecules there. And so you're going to be looking for the 10% who are focused on uh, on digital. I do think that you should go, though. It's, it's a giant conference. You can't meet with a lot of investors. You can meet with pharma buyers or partners. Um, they're going to have a startup stadium this year. Um, I think you should go to the startup stadium. They're going to have a business forum one-on-one -on -one partnering meetings. I think you should sign up for that. Take advantage of that. It's a good time saver. Um, uh, and um, uh, so I think for the for the tech company CEO selling into biopharma or selling through the prescriber channel, I think this is a good conference to go to. Um, in prior years, they've actually had a digital health track, which I've spoken at, uh, and I didn't see it listed this year. So maybe they're maybe they're you know maybe either digital health is less important this year. Or it's more mainstream, doesn't need to be called out. Uh, or ultimately, a lot of digital health is just going to become healthcare. It's going to become the normal way healthcare is done, and so maybe it doesn't need to be called out so much. But Schwen, any thoughts? Are, and, and I'm, I'm also I live in Boston, and I'm, and I'm going to this, and so I invite uh, you know members of our audience to reach out to me. We can meet up when when you're visiting Boston for this. Uh, Schwen, any thoughts? Yeah, I think, you know, um, I agree with everything you said. I think bio is really focused on more of the traditional pharma sort of organization uh, and a lot of sort of tech transfer type deals that happen between, uh, you know, the academic research type environments and and pharmaceutical companies and biotech companies and so on. So I think the question about, you know, whether, you know, uh, it's worth the ticket for somebody in digital health. I'd say treat it a bit like JPM. The right executives are going to be there. That the top leaders are going to be in attendance, uh, but it doesn't mean you actually have to attend the conference to meet them. Uh, use the fact that they're in one location to set up the meetings that you want to to meet with them. Use the you know to take advantage of the fact that you're in Boston and meet with all the smaller biotech companies that are in the area, uh, and the pharmaceutical R and D uh, offices that are in the area as well. And most importantly, use take advantage of the fact that Steve and I are both here so we can meet with you. And I don't know, Steve, maybe we should think about planning an event that we host that week so everybody can come. Uh, people have been hearing about drinks nights. Uh, so maybe it's time we do one when people you know, are traveling from other cities to Boston. Yeah, I, I, I think so. Um, and uh, I'll just throw in, yeah, no one cares if you have the bio ticket. There's plenty of places to meet outside of the, the conference center. Um, uh, and if they don't have a bio track, it means they don't have a lot of, I'm sorry, if they don't have a digital health track this year, it means they don't have a lot of digital health programming this year. And so there's, there's no particular reason to walk into uh, the conference center if they don't have digital health programming. You can just meet in a, rest, in a restaurant outside. Um, uh, so my, my, my favorite um, story like that uh, was um, at J.P. Morgan, people used to rent retail stores around the, the Weston St. Francis Hotel, and they, they still do. And one, one uh, venture fund rented out a Redwood Furniture, a high-end Redwood Furniture store. And so I'm looking at this address. I'm walking along the street. I walk in. I see it's a store selling Redwood Furniture. So I walk in, uh, and the, the clerk points to the back and there's a couple of VCs sitting around a Redwood dining room table um, with their papers spread out on it. So I go and sit down. And then while we're there, there's all these upscale um, consumers and upscale women walking around uh, the place looking at, you know, a Redwood mirror or a Redwood baby, baby carriage or a Redwood whatever uh, in, in this store uh, while we're talking about deals. So I thought that was kind of, you know, uh, uh, bio can be a bit like that as well, except bio is a trade show and JP Morgan's an investor conference. So, um, so then next is uh, Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit, June 6th to 7th in Boston, sponsored by Flare Ventures, which is a 
premier Boston venture fund in digital health and Humana, um, which is both a payer and also has a venture fund, a corporate venture fund. Um, and tickets are 1400 bucks. Um, and so this is interesting. This is a healthcare uh, investor conference. It's an independent investor conference. So that's unusual. Most investor conferences are owned by investment banks, but this one's an, an independent one. And increasingly these independent investor conferences are being sponsored by VCs. And sure enough, uh, Flair is a sponsor of this conference. Uh, and this one's re really outstanding, I think, especially if you're East Coast based and you can come here that you're gonna see very heavy private company digital health attendance, very heavy private uh, VC investor attendance. This is gonna be mostly on the healthcare side, not on the FDA risk side, not on the side of, of um, digital medicines, digital therapeutics, digital diagnostics, digital um, uh, monitoring or whatever. Uh, it will include um, software companies that sell into pharma, like selling into pharma discovery or, ph or pharma clinical trials or selling into pharma commercial. Um, it will include all the other big parts of digital health as well. Um, so you sort of got both in Boston that week. You got the stuff that's focused on FDA risk at bio. You got the stuff that's focused on, on the other parts of digital health at the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit. I don't think these guys coordinated this. I think this was classic schedule conflict uh, between these two things. Uh, so for 300 bucks, uh, I think it's worth it. Uh, and also the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit throws a great cocktail party. And so uh, if work's paying, you should absolutely go uh, to to this. Um, so Schwen, I, I don't know what, what you think. In your case, you, you marinate in bio all the time. And so maybe you want to spend all your days at bio instead of at DHIS. I, I don't know. What do you think? Well, I, I actually think it might be the other way around. Uh, I, I didn't make it to DHIS last year, but I certainly met up with people who were attending and certainly feel like that's more my crowd these days. Um, so I, I think it's definitely worth it. And I think that's another reason why, like, if you're planning to attend uh, or, or wondering if you should attend bio or DHIS, I mean, you kind of get the best of both worlds if you're attending one or the other. You can kind of set up meetings with both sides, right? Um, but that's another reason, well, even more reason, in fact, for setting up some some kind of event where we bring both sides together, because I feel like, yeah, like you said, it wasn't well coordinated, but I think, uh, you know, it, it might work out to, to make for a very nice uh, social gathering of digital health people. Mm. That's great. So then um, let's see. Uh, the next one, in, interestingly, is Health 2.0 in Las Vegas in July, July 10th to 12th, $2,000 ticket. Um, so this is really unusual and strange. This is, this is very strange. My audience has heard me talk about this before, but basically Health 2.0 was founded by Matt Holt. Um, I think, Schwen, you and I were both affiliated with Health 2.0 in its early days. I, yeah. I founded the Boston chapter of Health 2.0, which was a nonprofit chapter of a for-profit company. None of that makes any sense. Um, and Matt Holt, Matthew Holt did fabulous things for, for decades. Um, and then he sold the company, you know, congrats to him, to Hims, which then turned it into its innovation arm as part of a transformation of Hims, which is still ongoing. Um, and uh, it was a, it was a product conference. It was a conference for young companies to go and show off their product and maybe get some press, maybe attract a VC, maybe find a corporate partner for their product. Um, and um, uh, and then Hims disused and did not preserve the brand Health, Health 2.0. Um, and then another company has grabbed it without any affiliation with Hims or with Matthew Holt. And I had Matthew Holt on the show and he talked about that. Um, and uh, now they're inviting people to go and pay $2,000. So I haven't gone, I'm not sure what it's like, but I do know it takes years and years uh, to get those stakeholders to commit, to get, you know, it, to get the young companies to commit, to get the VCs to commit, to get the, the consolidator companies that could be partners or, or acquirers uh, to commit. Um, and so I, I, I'm just, I'm a little dubious. It's worth $2,000 if, if, you know, there, this is a reboot by people who had no connection to the prior conference, if they can get those kinds of people to commit. So I'm, so I'm not going to health 2.0 in Las Vegas, but, uh, Schwen, any thoughts? Yeah. I, I mean, first of all, Steve, when you first told me about this, I was blown away. I said, wait, I thought health 2.0 got sold to hymns and how did it survive into this next chapter and become something independent again? Um, and then I found out it was actually the, the copycat, I guess, of, of Health 2.0. I think the question will be, what is the format? Who's running it? And what's what's the vision of what health this version of Health 2.0 is? Uh, because it's something that 
um, you know, had its own brand and its own culture and its own feel. And it was certainly one of the premier events in the early days for finding new startups in this space. Um, now, I'm not sure what it would represent. And in fact, the term health 2.0 is not even used very much anymore. Um, yeah. In fact, my first job description when I first joined Vertex back in 2008 had the term two point, uh, health 2.0 and it. it kind of said that was part of my job. I think at the very least, they need to upbrand to health 3.5, if not health 4.0. Like um, you get me to pay 2000 bucks. Um, so we also have Zoe comments, uh, attending American Association of Clinical Endocrinology in May, American Diabetes Association in June, D Data Exchange. I haven't heard of that uh, in June in San Diego. Uh, that, that, so that, that's interesting. Um, you know, in general, I tend to point to digital health type conferences as opposed to medical society type conferences, which are so specific to, to the areas people are focused on. Um, uh, uh, Shwena, have you ever heard of the D-Data Exchange? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm wondering if that's related to the Health Data Palooza conference that the HHS usually puts on, um, but I, I, I don't know the D-Data one. Uh, but it sounds like this person might be uh, have a relationship with uh, diabetes and therefore D might stand for diabetes uh, and, and, and because all the conferences are related to that. Um, and I remember actually attending the Health Data Palooza, the first one uh, by HHS, where I think part of it was actually uh, I was a judge for a pitch competition uh, but, and, and the winner was um, actually, the pitch competition was called Data Design Diabetes, and the winner was uh, what is now Ginger Health. Uh, mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, they, they, there we go, D for diabetes and digital health. Um, and, and, you know, the, it, it's kind of been a, 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 a theme, right, is, is the whole idea of how data is really starting to become an important part of all these different medical conferences. And more than that, I think all these digital health companies now, especially if they're in the DTX space, um, they're actually having to, you know, present their clinical data to show that they're validated and, and they have evidence. And so they're, I'm, I think a lot of them are now starting to attend some of these medical conferences to present their data and get feedback as well. So that, now that we've talked about Health Data Palooza, which happened in February, this is still going on, happened in February this year. Uh, you know, our audience who are young company leaders are thinking, should I go to that next year? And I think the answer is, that is a product conference. That is where product people go, including engineers, and they try to build better, they learn what's possible, they try to build better products. Um, therefore, I don't think a young digital health leader needs to go to that. that. That's something for, at most, the VP of product would go to that, probably people on the people down the line of the VP of product. Do you have any thoughts, Shwen, as to that one? Um, I, I haven't been recently, but I will say, at least in the early days, it was really centered a lot around innovative new ideas for solving, you know, healthcare problems and especially leveraging uh, HHS data and so on. Um, so if they're still continuing to do that, what it is is also an opportunity to tap into that kind of relationship where you might get access to, um, you know, data sets that you otherwise wouldn't get access to to help solve challenges. And maybe your platform or your solution might be able to do something that they're trying to solve. And all these challenges that are being presented may be something that might get you a prize or a relationship with a company that actually finds that your solution very uh, useful for, for solving that problem um, because you have access to that data and you've actually proven it. Um, so, so I think for that reason, I'd say it depends on, you know, you should definitely read what the agenda is and what um, competitions or, or challenges they're presenting this year um, or next year before you uh, decide whether you should attend or not. That's great. So now moving on to news sources. Last week, I reviewed news sources in the industry and talked about which ones I liked and didn't like and the reporters I liked and that sort of thing. Uh, and so I would encourage our audience, we don't have time this episode to go back and re-review that, but I'll just mention that I, I liked Moby Health News for news about product launches, partnerships, fundraisers, trade sales, innovation, and that sort of thing. I like Stat for breaking news, um, like they did a good job about uh, the pair bankruptcy, for example. I like his talk for for gossip about health systems, which is the only way to make health systems interesting. Um, I like... Uh, Axios uh, at, uh, for breaking news, Aaron Broadwin there. I like Exits and Outcomes by Brian Dolan because he find, he does analysis that, that breaks news and finds hidden hidden data 
and secret fundraises. So that's his, that's his, you know, sort of special sauce there. Um, but so when any, and any new sources, you're actually in a slightly different area than me. I tend to focus heavily on, on digital health for healthcare services. And you tend to focus on, uh, on, on biopharma. Digital health of pharma. Yeah. Any, um, new sources you want to praise? You know, the, the, if, if you're in the pharma marketing space, certainly MM&M, which is medical marketing and media, as well as Pharma Voice are two publications that tend to have a lot of information. But certainly things like Mobi Health News are where you turn to for all the digital health information. But I will say that one of my favorite news sources these days is just LinkedIn. Um, because you are... Uh, you follow or you are connected to the people that you're interested in in those type of topic areas. You tend to just have a curated feed of news that goes across all the things you're, you're, that are most important to you, right? Um, and I will say, you know, certainly the digital health news sources, the pure digital health news sources are really important and good to get that kind of news all the time. But sometimes there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in the tech world and, and you know, uh, out of TechCrunch, for example, um, which if I'm not paying attention to that, I'm not, I'm, I'm totally going to miss it. Um, and so, you know, um, getting that curated feed from LinkedIn, from the people that you follow, from uh, groups that you follow, like Rock Health and so on, uh, Startup Health, um, like those are all uh, informational pieces that um, show up on my feed and, and I get it on a daily basis and look at it multiple times a day. So uh, I find them very useful. You know, my job used to be really easy because 10, 15 years ago, I would just read the tech news, which no one in healthcare at all did. And then things would happen like, you know, enterprises would start adopting SaaS technology. And then I would say, I predict that, that healthcare enterprises will adopt SaaS technology. And then everyone in healthcare would say, nope, never going to happen. Sorry. Um, and I go, yeah, going to happen. Yeah. And they'd be like, no way. Be a way. We had this long argument. And then, of course, digital health in healthcare did adopt the, tr the trends in big tech as well, always slower, sometimes at a, at a delay of 10 years was the old metric for, for that. And that was easy. But today, Everyone does this now, and so I, I have to get a new gig. Um, so, uh, um, Steve, I think one other thing is, you know, something that both of us mentioned in the past, uh, in passing, was uh, podcasts. Right, uh, that's another source where I find a lot of information. I listen to This Week in Startups to just hear the latest news in in the tech world and what's happening and funding for startups. Um, you listen to the All In, which is also done by Jason and a few other people. Um, and then there are, other, there are many others that I listen to on a regular basis that sort of just provide a lot of information and updates on what's happening in this world. That's great. In LinkedIn, by the way, I'm glad you mentioned LinkedIn. I'm also finding more and more good news from LinkedIn, and I would not have expected that five or 10 years ago. I would not have looked to LinkedIn for, for relevant industry news back then. Um, are you finding it coming out of groups? Are there groups, specific groups, or is it more like people that you follow or who are re retweeted by your friends on LinkedIn? Is, is, it, is it people or companies or groups? Because to me, it's, it's following the right people who themselves have a nose for news and are putting news out there. It's not groups and it's not companies. Company, company postings are too boring. Um, yeah, uh, it's, but, it's uh, mainly people, but I will say that the, the thing about following companies is every now and then um, companies do provide uh, or publish uh, white papers and, and research, uh, you know, reports and so on. And that's really useful to find those on there because if those kind of reports, you know, if you don't get it on uh, from, from someone, you know, um, it's very hard to find them. That's right. So, um, and then any industry reports come out recently? I think you, you had one in mind that came out recently. Uh, oh yes. I think um, so the, my friends at health Excel, published an industry report on pharma 3.0 i think it's what it's called uh and it's really about how pharma is embracing digital health uh these days and they've sort of had this like uh path and i think they're talking about where we are now and where it's going to go and and how the tides have changed how we were experimenting how it's uh we started embracing it and putting a lot of money into it and then now there's a little bit of hesitation and we're not sure what to do with it and now asking for more evidence and then wondering whether we should be doing it in-house or whether we should be partnering with third parties and so on. So it's a really interesting report overall. That's great. So then um, and, and personal appearances. So I'm hosting a drinks night in Boston on Thursday, May 18th from 530 to 8:30 at the Liberty hotel at MGHT stop in Boston. Love to have you stop by. Please register first. 
to register to go to my Eventbrite page, stephenwardell.eventbrite.com. And I'll also be meet, doing meetings, you know, back-to-back meetings all day at the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit in Boston in June. And I, I would go to, I, I said I was at BIO, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm mostly going to the Digital Health Innovation Summit, and then I'll be at BIO the days I'm not at um, the Digital Health Innovation Summit. And I will buy a DHIS ticket, and I won't buy a BIO ticket. So, um, but any, any personal appearances or other things you're doing, um, Schwen? Um, coming up, uh, I think, uh, you know, like I said, I think I'm going to start thinking about whether we should host a health disruptors plus, uh, Steve Wardell drinks night, uh, during DHIS slash bio. Um, I'm hoping I can make it to DHIS, um, soon, uh, in June and I'm not sure if I'll head to the bio event, but, um, certainly there will be people there that I'm hoping to meet up with that are attending. Um, but you know, overall there's, there's a lot of conferences coming up and I'm sure I'll be in a few. Um, oh, you know, uh, there's a few that are coming to Boston, like CNS Summit will be in Boston this year. That's uh, uh, an event that I try to go to every year. It's uh, mostly focused on clinical innovation, but overall, uh, CNS in this case starts for, uh, stands for uh, Collaborating for Novel Solutions. Uh, so it's not just neuro-related. Uh, it's really a great bunch of people trying to solve problems, big problems in healthcare and thinking about what's, how to do it in, in the future. Um, and, um, and then other ones that I, I like, uh, can lions health, if you're a healthcare marketer, that's a great one. Um, I always try to make it out there. Um, but probably not this year. And, um, D farm is coming up as well. Uh, and I think those are all big ones. CNS summit punches above its weight in terms of social media. You have more pe- more pictures of people smiling and holding drinks. Uh, flood Twitter and LinkedIn from that conference than any other conference. So, <laughs> because um, the, the people, the attendees tend to be like a family, and we and every time we go to one of the events, it's like a reunion, uh, and it's it's almost got like a cult following because it's uh, it's well curated. It's really people helping people. It's it's great. That's great. So now we move on. We're running a little a little late. Um, uh, for our audience, you know, for our audience, if, if you only budgeted an hour, um, then this would be a good juncture to, to drop off. But this will be published as a podcast soon, and so you can catch up on the rest later. Um, but why don't I just, just open up, you know, the, the topic of today's show is um, digital health and innovation in pharma. Where is digital health innovation going in pharma, and what does it mean for vendors? Uh, and so um, uh, can we just open up with... What is a framework for thinking about digital in pharma? Sure. So I, I mentioned this uh, to a few people, including when we were talking about it casually at the drinks night. But I think part of the challenge when we think about digital health in pharma is the definition. What is digital health? Where does it fit? And who should own it? Uh, and certainly then the question will be posed, you know, where does digital health start and end? Is it simply the things that we think about as um, devices and wearables? Is it also real world data? Is it also AI and drug, uh, AI for drug discovery? So where does it start and end? And the way that I think about digital in pharma overall is there's sort of three distinct categories that, um, digital is divided into in pharma. So the first one is really, um, digital infrastructure and tech stack, the things that keep the company going from day to day. So, that would really be the realm of what is traditionally IT. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's the digital stuff that keeps the company moving. You cannot live without it. You cannot have a company function without it. The second category is really around business operations. And so it's digital operational efficiency and effectiveness, things that are actually going to help your business do things better, faster, cheaper. Um, and that could be things like decentralized trials or AI for drug discovery, where you're accelerating the things that you're currently doing um, through technology and digital uh, mechanisms that are actually going to make it better. And then the final one where I think of digital health is really much more aligned with um, the what would be called therapeutic areas. So the, the, the uh, franchises within pharma companies. Uh, the, the previous one that I mentioned, business operations, that's more owned by the business units, the functional business units. This part around digital health really should be owned by mostly the therapeutic areas. So whether it's cardiology or oncology or immunology, those are the 
the groups that should be looking at where digital health can actually help drive better outcomes and experiences for patients. And so to me, that's the way um, that digital should be sort of divided when it comes to thinking about it in a big company and big pharma. Um, but whether people really think like that and divide their organization like that is it, it's very different from company to company. And I think that's part of the challenge is, is how do you define it? Um, and, and so um, when startups especially try to figure out who they should be talking to, there's a lot of groups they can talk to. It could be business development. It could be the marketing brand lead. It could be the innovation team. It could even be IT. Um, but the question is, who's, act, who's actually going to help you uh, get a contract there? And that's uh, all of it depends on how the company's set up and what your company is uh, trying to do and who you should be talking to based on the fact that does it, which part of these three categories does it fit into?